Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have David Brown from Techstars, which is a startup accelerator based in Boulder, Colorado. Is that correct, David? Yeah, that's that sure is. Cool. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first, and we'll go from there. Sure, that'd be great. Um, so I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been, you know, doing startups since I was in my 20s back back when it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur, it was a little bit like sort of your crazy uncle in the garage, you know, who's an inventor, um, and people thought of it as, as, uh, as uh, a hobby. Um, you know, I've participated in a number of different startups, uh, a couple of really successful ones, uh, one dismal failure, um, and the most recent of which, you know, is Techstars, which I founded along with David Cohen and uh, Brad Feld and Jared Bolas. Um, back in 2006, we ran our inaugural uh, class in 2007, and the idea to stars was to sort of leverage some of the learning and some of the things that we did right and wrong um, in our previous startups um, and uh, help entrepreneurs not make the same mistakes again. And now that startups uh, have really sort of become cool and ecosystems are growing to help startup communities. Um, it's a great opportunity to set up a system to really radically change how startups get built. Got it. Okay. So let's say I'm a startup and then I want to get into tech stars. You know, what are the what are the main benefits for me? Yeah, great question. Um, so you know, startup. I mean, accelerators in general and tech stars in particular is, uh, is certainly very much about accelerating your business. So it's a three month bootcamp program that those that go through it, many will say I learned more in those three months and I did more for my startup in those three months than I learned or did in two years of business school or two years of three years of doing it on my own. And the reason for that is because we surround you with these fantastic mentors that uh, help you uh, understand, think through various aspects of your business, test out product market fit, make sure that you're uh, building product that customers want and doing that in a very short uh, an intense time frame so that you can then quickly move to an ex execution phase where you get your product, the right product in the hands of customers, you uh, test out the ideas, make sure that they love the product and ultimately uh, craft a story that helps you uh, gain investors um, so that you can then go uh, about the business of uh, growing your business out in the, uh, out in the real world uh, post accelerator. And of course, and we can talk more about that later, really just the beginning because uh, the accelerator is just the, the first part of the startup's journey and it's really about building a network of people that can help you along the way and and, and that's really the product of Techstars is providing a, a network uh, to, to give access to um, great mentors and investors and other co-founders and advice uh, and corporations to, to, the, to the companies that go through the Techstars program. Okay. Got it. And my understanding is, you know, Techstars will put eighteen thousand in as a seed as a seed round, right? Uh, can you can you kind of go into the numbers a little bit? I know there's like you know you guys take six percent. There's you know there's a bunch of numbers involved. Yeah. So it's really think of it as one hundred and eighteen thousand. The you're correct that it's eighteen thousand for um, uh, and the value of the program for the six percent. But there's also a hundred thousand dollar convertible note that's optional. So mm -hmm. it's one hundred and eighteen thousand of. Uh, funding to participate in the to participate in the program and uh, how much equity uh, you give up depends a little bit on how that note converts, but it's somewhere in that seventy nine ten uh, range if you take the note. 
Got it. And can you explain what a convertible note is to the audience? Sure. A uh, convertible note is a notion that you're going to take some money without having to value your company. You might be too early stage or uh, you, might be, uh, you might not have an arm's length transaction to be able to assess the valuation of a company. So the note is $100,000. It converts at a later point in time when you take equity. So at some point in the future when you uh, raise a seed round or a Series A and there's a valuation event, that note converts to equity based on the valuation um, that's, uh, that's established later on. Okay. Got it. Perfect. So, you know, I, I know you guys have, you know, some, some cool companies in, in, in your portfolio. I mean, who, who are some, you know, what are some notable companies that you can tell the audience about? Well, we have lots of great companies. We have um, uh, almost 500 now that have graduated from uh, from Techstars. So, you know, it's a little bit hurt. It's a little bit hard to pick which ones to talk about, but uh, certainly uh, SendGrid is one of the uh, very successful companies that's come out of the Boulder program several years ago. Uh, DigitalOcean is based in uh, New York City and is doing great. You may have read uh, recently that GrabCab that came out of the Boston program was reportedly acquired for somewhere around $100 million. And so there have been a lot of great notable companies that um, have had great success or are on their way to future great success. Okay, and people that you know, people that go through the TechStars program, you know, do they typically start in Boulder and do they stay there, or do they eventually move on to the other areas? Because you talked about New York a little bit, and everyone's, or not everyone, but but a lot of people are like, yeah, you should go to Silicon Valley. I mean, you know, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I think you know, creating startups. You know, my career, I've done a number of different startups, and the place I've done them all has been the city I've lived at the time. TechStars exists in Boulder because. Uh, David, Brad, Jared, and I all live in Boulder, um, and you know we're of the belief that you can create a startup wherever you want, you know wherever you want to live, and then you don't have to necessarily go to Silicon Valley in order to be successful. Uh, you mentioned Boulder, but you know of course TechStars runs thirteen different programs. So okay. the reason I mentioned New York and Boston um, is because we have a New York. Uh, program and we have a Boston program and GradCat, for instance, you know, was went through the Boston program. Now, many companies apply to a TechStars program um, that, you know, we obviously don't have one everywhere. So, if you live in a city where you don't have a TechStars program, you can apply to any of the uh, programs that you want. Um, and then afterwards, you can either stay or go. And there's certainly a mix of graduates that do both. But there are also great examples that uh, of companies that uh, I can think of. One that lived uh, a company based in Boulder, lives in Boulder, went to one of our New York programs because of the vertical focus of the EdTech Accelerator, participated in that program in New York, and then came back to Boulder afterwards. So there's all kinds of different combinations. And uh, our view is uh, whatever's best for the entrepreneur is okay. Got it. Okay. Perfect. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about equity, the equity back guarantee before we started. Um, so can you explain how that works? Sure. The equity back guarantee is a new program. Um, it starts in January. <clears throat> and it's really about de-risking the process of deciding whether or not uh, Techstars uh, is worth giving up the equity. What we find is that there can be confusion. If you don't know much about Techstars, you wonder, geez, that's an awful lot of equity, should I do it? Um, we find that there's confusion before the program begins as to whether or not, you know, whether Techstars is going to provide that much value. That confusion that I described 
never exists or almost never exists after the program is complete. When the program is completed, the entrepreneurs say, wow, that was really worth it. That was, that was fantastic. And so what we're doing is we're moving the process of deciding whether it's worth it from the beginning of the program uh, to, the, to, to after demo day. And the way it works is we believe that the program is worth 6%. We, uh, we believe that all of the entrepreneurs that go through the program will feel that same way. But if we're not able to deliver on that value at the end of the program, they have an option. Uh, everybody has an option to uh, take their equity back. Um, we want to know why. but. Uh, essentially, it's no questions asked, meaning uh, if, if they decide that they want it back, uh, we'll give it back to them. Um, and we don't have to sign off. There doesn't have to be a reason. And uh, you can take back as much as you want, right? If you, didn't, if you feel the, the program was only worth 3%, then by all means, take 3%. Got it. That, that's really smart. So I, I think not only does it de-risk, but I also think it, it kind of helps for recruiting purposes, huh? because you're doing something that's unique there. It is, uh, it is unique. I think um, it's certainly true that, um, that others in the industry don't do it, but it's really no different than what you'd want in your personal life from every vendor that you talk to, right? In, not an equity-backed guarantee, obviously, but a money-backed guarantee. Wouldn't it be great if your cable company said to you, you know, you don't have to pay the whatever a month if our service is down or it never works, right? Because what that means is you believe in your product and you believe that you're providing good value and if for whatever reason that you don't, you're willing to stand behind that by putting your money where your mouth is. In our case, we're putting our equity where our mouth is. Wonderful. I love it. Um, you know, so one thing, you know, one thing I noticed is that you know, uh, I've read that you guys accept fewer than 1% of companies that, that apply. So can you kind of go into the, the application process and why that percentage is so low? Well, I mean, the percentage is low because there's lots of great startups out, um, out there that want to apply, and we'd love to be able to accept all of the great startups that we see, but we currently have 13 programs that accept about 10 companies each, so we're able to accept um, um, uh, 130 companies a year, mm -hmm. um, but there are, you know, 13, 14,000 that apply every year. Here. And so uh, we wish we had the capacity to accept more. We've certainly been able to accept more over the years as we've extended uh, the program. But you know, there's only there's only room for so many. Got it. Okay. So you know, what are what are the characteristics of you know someone that does get accepted? You know, something that is is common among the the tech star you know portfolio companies. Yeah, so I mean, I think the founding team matters a lot, right? And uh, I think that for many people, uh, there is an assumption that a great idea uh, creates a great company. And an idea, while important, you know, may not be the only important thing. We sort of half-jokingly say that our criteria are team, 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 market progress idea. And it's this notion that, that passionate founders that care deeply about uh, the problem that they're solving and their customers and each other are much more likely to go on and be successful than somebody that's just doing it because whatever they think they should or they think it's a way to get rich quick or whatever. Um, and, and so sort of the, the passion and, and, and the vision of the founding team matters a lot. Market, market is in the team, 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 market progress idea is the, is the six. Market is really about, you know, are you chasing a big idea? Are you chasing a little idea if you're selling you know, widgets to squirrels, right? How many squirrels really do you get these widgets? Bad example. Um, but, you know, you want, you 
want somebody who's thinking about a market that even if they're not going after the whole market right away, that this thing could be big eventually. Um, progress is about the ability to demonstrate that you can do something. Are you, you know, have you and your co-founder, you know, been around for five years talking about this great thing that you're going to do, but five years later you don't have a website, you don't have a prototype, you don't have a, you know, beta customer, you don't have anything at all, um, then maybe you're, you don't have what it takes to be able to, to make something happen. And, and then idea is sort of on the list, but deliberately last to de-emphasize the importance of it. Got it. Okay, cool. And you, you, you know, one other thing that sticks out to me, you know, you guys have a mentorship program and I, I looked through the site, you know, you guys have people like the CEO of Warby Parker and also a, a bunch of other notable, uh, notable people as well. So how does the mentorship program work? Yeah, so in every program, there's 80 to 100 mentors that participate. Uh, many of those would be local. So in Boulder, it might be Boulder mentors. In New York, it might be New York mentors. In Boston, it might be New, uh, Boston mentors. But there are also <clears throat> there's also plenty of opportunities for uh, remote mentorship as well, uh, whether it's through Hangouts or video conferencing or some of the mentors travel into the programs and participate. You're going to get a substantial number of mentors from across the network. And so there are 1,200 of these mentors that participate. Some of them, as you describe, are big names. Um, but many of them are very experienced, seasoned entrepreneurs that understand a, an issue deeply and can really help a lot and, and maybe aren't a household name, but you know, have as much to provide as some of the big names that you have. And so I think it's a mix right, uh, in terms of who participates in each program. Got it. Okay. You know, that's, that's, that's interesting. And for, for the mentors, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the benefit to them to, you know, in helping others? Yeah. So, you know, the mentors, um, we don't have a hard time, right? There are lots of great mentors that want to participate in the program and their motivation it varies. There could be a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, I think the one that's most commonly expressed is people want to give back. Um, it's in fact how Techstars got started because, you know, David and I both uh, wanted to give back to up-and-coming entrepreneurs and help in some way. Um, and I think a lot of our mentors who have had success want to sort of help the next generation of entrepreneurs. The thing that they find in doing that, though, that's really interesting is that they learn as well. Um, so in the process of teaching, um, the, the, the student becomes the teacher in many ways because for a mentor who's maybe had some success 5, 10, 15 years ago, learning about what sort of you know, is relevant today and uh, different ideas from different entrepreneurs and being around just so many smart people uh, is very, very rewarding to the mentor because it really allows you to continue to learn about the state of the art to be relevant. Um, and then, of course, you know, other mentors might have individual reasons. Some might be investors, and so they uh, have an opportunity for deal flow by sort of meeting some of these uh, companies in a more relaxed setting than the typical demo day. Um, there are also great examples where mentors become CEOs of companies that maybe don't have a business-focused founder, and some of our best companies um, hired their mentors after or during the program to either work their business or run the business um, to be able to help take it to the next level. So there's a whole slew of different reasons um, uh, why mentors do what they do, but maybe those are some of the most common. Okay, that's really helpful. And you know, if someone does want to become a Techstar mentor, is, is, is there, you know, is there, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? 
Yeah, so I mean, you certainly can put an email contact out to the, sort of the general website, but the best way is to uh, get in touch with the managing director of the local city, um, get to know them a little bit, and uh, ask, ask them uh, where they are in terms of the selection of the managers for that particular program. Okay, got it. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the the, the equity back guarantee. So that's definitely one unique thing that you guys are doing to bring in more uh, attractive, you know, startups, companies. Um, you know, what's one other unique thing that you guys are doing to, uh, you know, bring in uh, more deals, I guess? Well, uh, you know, I would say we talked about it briefly at the beginning, but I would say the power of the network. Um, you know, the fact that you're not just going through an accelerator with the other companies that are going through at the same time with you, with the mentors that you meet, with the investors that you meet at Demo Day, all of that is true and is valuable and what, what was the original purpose of Techstars. But, but now that there's 500 companies that have graduated, 1,200 founders that have been through the system, 1,200 mentors that I mentioned, um, uh, over 1,000 investors that have been invested in individual um, uh, Techstars companies, and hundreds of corporations that have participated meaningfully in Techstars, either by, uh, you know, running at one of our corporate uh, branded accelerators with us, or through uh, sponsorship or business development activities. We have relationships with all of these different companies, mentors, investors, founders, um, corporations, etc. And that access is a real benefit to the entrepreneur. And so, if you're just sort of doing your own thing. Um, knowing the people that you know, that's really a small subset of the access that you could have if you can sort of tap into this network, which is, you know, 3,000 plus people strong now. And through that network, you can easily reach, you know, millions of influencers. So whether you need a corporate contact at Yahoo or a contact at Sequoia, um, whatever, whatever you need in your business, um, there's a really good chance that through our network we're able to connect you. And I think that's uh, a big part of the value of Techstars. Okay, great. Um, you know, you, 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 Brad, and I believe it was, uh, who's, the third, who's the third founder? Uh, Jared Polos and David Cohen. Okay, and David Cohen. Okay, got it. Um, what's one big struggle that you guys face while growing Techstars? Well, Techstars started off as very much an experiment, right? We had no idea if it was going to work. The, you know, the concept of a mentorship-driven accelerator didn't exist when we started. Um, the concept of, in fact, the word accelerator didn't even exist when we started. And um, it was a crazy idea, like any startup. And we uh, did a little experiment in Boulder, Colorado in the summer of 2007. Um, and, and it took us two or three years to sort of tune the knobs and get the model right and figure out the right level of engagement for mentors and uh, what the curriculum should be and what the right level of mentor engagement should be and you know how much time the companies should be spending on this versus that. And I think as we perfected that over the years, you know, we held off from expansion. While there was lots of inbound interest to sort of say, why don't you do the Techstars and all of these different places, we wanted to make sure that the quality was strong. And so uh, getting the model right was important. Um, and it was only after we sort of got through those, you call them struggles, but I don't know that, you know, it was part of, as part of any startup, right? You sort of have to get the formula right. Um, and it was only after we did that that we sort of began to think about, okay, now we can go through the and the new challenge of how do we clone ourselves and do as good a job in Boston and you know Seattle, Austin, London, etc. 
as uh, as we've been able to do. How do we replicate that and do as good a job in other locations as what we did originally? Got it. Okay. And I want to backtrack a little bit. You know, you talked a little bit in the beginning, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. You talked about that one dismal failure. So, you know, what did you, you know, can you explain that dismal failure and what you learned from it? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. So, you know, David Cohen and I are longtime business partners, right? We've done all these startups together, the two of us. And our first startup was very successful. And it was a, it was a ambulance dispatch system, um, you know, B2B, you know, enterprise software selling to uh, ambulance services around the country and eventually around the world. Um, and, and it was very successful. It grew into a $50 million business with 250 people. And, and we exited and we moved on and we decided to do a second startup. And, and that's the failure. Um, and, the, and, and somehow, you know, through the success of the first startup, we felt like, hey, we know what we're doing here in startup land and uh, let's challenge ourselves. So let's do something almost deliberately completely different. So whereas the first company uh, was business to business, let's do business to consumer. Whereas the first company was uh, enterprise software installed in the back office, let's do mobile software. Um, and we created an app that you know runs on a cell phone that think Foursquare. Uh, but this is back in 2004 when there was no uh, ability to you know there was no app store ecosystem. The iPhone didn't exist, and I think. Maybe maybe we let our egos get ahead of ourselves. We figured out what we thought we could. We knew what we were doing. Um, we learned a lot of great lessons in in that failure, and we did a lot of things wrong, but we did a lot of things right as well. And you know, then ultimately the product was in many ways just ahead of its time. If we had started just a couple of years later, I think it could have been a uh, breakout success. Um, but I'm I'm grateful for the experience of having sort of felt what it feels like on the other side of the success failure continuum. Okay. So it sounds like a more, more of a timing thing than anything. Yeah, you could argue it's a timing thing. Um, I mean, I think certainly it's easy to, you know, to say that we were ahead of our time, but we made some wrong strategic decisions in doing that. For instance, you know, we didn't control the distribution of our product. We were at the, at the, that can call of these phone carriers that installed on their decks that may or may not, you know, approve any individual app and mostly said no, unlike today. And uh, we should have been able to recognize that early on. So, you know, I don't chalk it up to bad luck or bad timing. I chalk it up to poor decisions on our part that we could learn from and do better next time. Fair enough. So, you know, you talked about you and David Cohen being longtime business partners. I mean, you know, not a lot of people talk about being business partners through a lot of, you know, different, uh, a lot of different experiences. So can you, can you kind of share your take on that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. And actually it's one that we've been pondering a lot lately because, um, you know, we believe that startups are better, uh, are, are more likely to be successful with multiple co-founders, right? The single co-founders have a hard time uh, doing everything on their own. One, because of the sheer amount of work that needs to be done, but also because of the need to balance out, you know, nobody's good at everything. So you can sort of balance out with another co-founder that some people are good at one thing and maybe your co-founder is helpful in a way that you're not. And then the third thing is that uh, it's also helpful to have somebody to 
rely on when you have your normal ups and downs. Doing a startup is really, really hard and there's high highs and low lows and maybe if you're having a low low, it's really great to have a co-founder that's you know not as low as you are and can knows you really well and can um, help sort of bring you up you know when you're down. Um, and, and so so I think that multiple co-founders, more than one founder is a good thing. Um, but if you're going to have more than one, then it's really important, and this is your question, to sort of think about who, you, who you're going to be starting a company with. Because in many ways, it's like choosing a life partner. Um, you know, this is somebody that you're going to spend more time with in many cases than your spouse. And you're going to go through as many emotional ups and downs as uh, with your significant other. And um, figuring out how to build a solid foundation of trust is really important rather than just, you know, this guy seems like he's a good coder and I'm a good business guy and let's sort of jump in together and create a company. And so investing time in building a relationship with a co-founder so that you can really get to know each other um, is, is, is really, really important, I think, to ultimate success and is probably one of the biggest reasons why startups fail is because co-founder issues aren't sort of addressed honestly and early in the relationship and they're allowed to fester and it leads to founder breakups and that's never great for the startup. Got it. Okay. You know, it's funny because, you know, one of our other guests on the show, uh, Heat and Shaw, you know, he's had the same partner for a while too. And, you know, he says it's almost like Batman and Robin sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you're Batman, the other, you know, the other guy's Robin, sometimes it's reversed. Is it more like that? Very much so. I, I describe it as yin and yang, right? That, uh, and who's yin and who's yang can flip sometimes. But, but, but really, um, you talk about Batman and Robin and switching roles, right? But I think, I think through a long relationship with a co-founder, you get to know what they're good at and what you're good at or what you're, where you're weak and they're strong. And, and so that when there's a decision to be made, um, and, and you're on opposite sides of the decision, you sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, you sort of both instinctively know that this is, this is your area of competency, so I'm going to give you my view, but I'm going to defer to your decision because I trust you more than I trust me mm -hmm. uh, in this area. And then other times on other decisions, it's the reverse. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the yin and yang of, of, of switching. But it's not, you know, it's not that I'm doing sales today and you're doing, you know, yeah technical today and then we're going to switch roles it's not like that yeah totally makes sense and thanks for clarifying there and you know one one question question i've always had you know it, it seems like the serial entrepreneurs you know much like yourself it seems like that the progression is to naturally go into investing uh you know after entrepreneurship is, is that how it is usually I, well i think that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs and you know certainly um tech stars is a vehicle in which we're able to invest in some of the best uh, startups that are up and coming, but I think there are many entrepreneurs that have no interest in investing and pour the results of, say, an earlier exit into their next startup and do something else. So okay. I don't, I don't, I think it's common, but it's not unique or it's not the only path. Perfect. And you know, wrapping it up here, a few more questions. Uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your twenty-five-year-old self? To so my twenty-five-year-old self. Mm -hmm. um, I, so as a as a 25 year old, I did not surround myself um, with a lot of mentors. Um, 
you know, maybe I had one, which is a boss at the time, um, but I didn't recognize that there was so much to be learned from the experience of others. And even if you're doing your startup, you know, I did my first startup in my 20s, so I was in that, in that range. Um, you, you, even if there's unique elements of your startup, you have different product, different customers, there's so much that's in common with others that, that if I had spent more time building deep relationships with people that had, had more experience than me, uh, or, or, or even just had an outsider's view, I think I would have been able to uh, be more successful faster. Okay, got it. So the experience will the experiences will help you accelerate, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Uh, what's one pro- What's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Productivity hack. Uh, personal productivity hack could be anything. Be great at email. Right. <clears throat> right. I think you know it's one of my core competencies. Uh, <clears throat> if anybody sends me an email, I'll respond. You know, I don't drop stuff, um, and that's hard. Uh, because you have to be organized, um, and you have to, you know, you have to figure out how to prioritize your day, and you have to make sure that you're leaving enough time for strategic issues. Um, so I don't guarantee that I'll answer within five minutes, um, but but I know that I'm organized enough that if somebody asks something of me, that <clears throat> I'll respond. And they don't have to follow up. Got it. Is there any specific tactic you can share there, such as you know you blocking off a specific time to check emails, anything like that? Yeah, I, I mean my own personal. I think everybody has different, you know, different techniques. My my personal goal is to get to inbox zero at, at least once every single day. It's not always possible. I get a ton of inbound email, um, but I think um, making sure that uh, you do focus on. Uh, getting to everybody in a relatively timely fashion and shrinking it down to zero every day means that you get yourself caught up and then you can fall behind again is sort of my technique and my way of doing that is working oldest to newest, right? Just start with the oldest email in your inbox and uh, work, work your way to the newest so that you're not sort of constantly pouncing on whatever's new and ignoring the thing that's been sitting there for a month. I hear you on that's that. What I, that's what I do, but you know, everybody has a different system. Yeah, totally. Final question, uh, what's one must-read book you recommend to the audience? Uh, one must-read book, so I, I'd probably re- be remiss if I didn't mention my own that I just re-released. <laughs> I don't know that it's the most must-read, but um, the, the story of uh, my first startup is something that I wrote about 10 years ago, um, but then recently just re-released it through uh, Foundry FG Press. Um, and uh, it, it takes you through the story of not only the successful startup, which was the original book, but the failed startup that happened after, all the way through the founding of TechStars. Got it. No, perfect. Um, so you know, I'll have to check that out. Uh, maybe we can uh, maybe we can arrange you know a book for the audience as well or something like that. But uh, David Brown from sure. TechStars, everyone, thanks for being on the show. I hope to have you again uh, sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me.